Tonight, uh, good to see everybody. Glad you're here. Welcome to Bible study. We're going to just spend a moment in prayer and then as we get started, Father, thanks for a good day today. We thank you, God, for uh, your love. We thank you for life. We thank you, God, for your provision over us. Whether we recognize it or not, we give you thanks that you are our provider and that you do uh, just bring good things into our lives all the time. So thank you for that. We, we thank you for this opportunity to meet, and we thank you, God, for an opportunity to, as we've gathered in your name, to be in your presence. Uh, we ask you, God, that we would hear from you. We ask you, God, that we would be moved on together as uh, we look into your word. We pray, Father, for revelation, understanding, application. We ask you, God, that we'd have ears to hear and that we'd be open, ready to receive all that you want to pour into us. God, thanks for this opportunity. Thanks for your life. And again, thanks for your love over us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, we open up to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians 1. If you need a Bible, uh, there's one here on the table. There may be some others available around. But uh, feel free to help yourself. Colossians 1. We also remind you that as we do every week that we have Bible study, that we have an interactive feature with our Bible study. It's intended mainly for those that aren't physically present, but listen to our Bible study on podcast. And it's a website that you can go to and you can toggle a button and leave us a message. Uh, that message could be a question, it could be a comment. It could be something good that God's doing through uh, some of the things that we're saying or doing here in Bible study. So we encourage you to use that. The website is www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study. Again, there's a button there. You toggle that and you leave what would appear to be a voicemail. And that gets sent to us and we'll make sure to play that and answer any questions that you might have or at least give it a good shot at answering any questions that you might have. So, avail yourself of that. Colossians, chapter 1, verse 22. May I have a volunteer? Verse 22. All right, well, thanks for reading that. The verse here, and I will refer to some verses above this, so you may want to read those, and there may be some verses that might come afterwards, but uh, generally in this area of the scripture we'll be talking about tonight, and if you read the context of it, that may be helpful to understand what's being said. Basically, what we're hearing here is that Jesus is bringing it back. He's bringing it all back to himself. And the idea behind that is that God has brought all creation back to himself in Christ. Now what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that there were there was a point of rebellion where mankind decided to do whatever he wanted to do. And because he decided to do whatever he wanted to do, there was a break that took place. That break was between us and God, between creation and God. If you notice in Genesis, if you want to look back at that and see when the break occurred, that there was a curse that was brought forth. The curse was brought forth on man and on woman, but the curse was also brought back on the land. And you think about the curse that the land would produce thistles and thorns, and it would, it would have to be cultivated from that point on that there would be a fight that would need to take place for us to break up the fallow ground and break up the land in order to use it and make it usable to grow crops. And all of a sudden, growing crops would become a burden and would become something that people would have to do. And it wouldn't be easy and there would be rocks and there would be thorns and there would be weeds and there would be all these other obstacles in what would take place. Now, Going back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they ate and they were fed. And there really wasn't a lot of those types of chores that we know of to, to even be done. And they may have lived there, and we don't know how long they lived there, but they could have lived there for hundreds of years, thousands of years for all we know. There's no record of time 
in a sense of how long they were there. And so for however long they were there, for however long that they stayed in the garden, they could live there forever. They had access to the tree of life. And so they, they could live forever by eating of the tree of life. They had every good uh, food that was in the garden that they could eat of and all these other things. But like I said, there came a point of breaking. And there came a point where they made a decision they were going to break from God and from what he had created for them. And they did. They made the break. And so they were cast from paradise. They were cast from this garden. And the curses came upon them and came upon the ground. And that was it. And so as God has brought about his will and his purposes, and looking at, and I'm just doing this really quickly, but looking through the history of God and people, and then God and his people, and then God and his son, and in the new agreement that he made with man, there was a restoration that was taking place there. There's a restoration of his plan and his purpose that was coming to pass through Jesus. And the reason that that makes sense is because he created things a certain way because that was the way he wanted them. That was how he desired it to be. That's why he created things the way he did. And I hope that makes sense to you. And so if God creates something and that's how he wants it to be, there can be none better. There's no better idea out there. There's no entity that exists that's going to have a better idea on how to create everything that he created. And so it was, it was not his purpose that we rebelled against him. It was not his plan that we decided we were going to do our own thing. That was our plan. That was our purpose. And so as we made that decision, as everything unfolded as it did, and everything since then has unfolded as it has, there has been a moving of God that has brought us back to this point. And the point that he's making and the point that is happening is a point of restoration to what he created. That you read the end of the book and it has a lot of things in the end of the book that are really familiar to you if you read the beginning of the book. Because as he had done and as he had spoken, things again come to pass that are very familiar. They'll be very familiar to somebody that understands the beginning and they see the end. Oh, I've seen this before. Yes, you have. Because this was God's plan and it continues to be God's plan. And so as Paul is writing to the Colossian church, what he's saying to them is that God has brought it back. He brought it back through Jesus. And so, and it is in the past tense, that as we begin to realize this more, as we begin to understand this more, we can live in it more. To us, it's still in process. To God, it's done. And there's a lot of things in life like that, that we see as a process, but really in reality, it's done. The fact of the matter is, is that what has needed to take place has already taken place. And whether or not we realize it, well, that's on us. Whether or not we fully move into it, that's on us. Whether or not we can fully accept it, that's on us. But it's been done is the point. And, and the point that I believe is being made here is that God has brought all creation back to himself in Christ. That's the point. So, unpacking that into, okay, well, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? What does it mean to me, for me that God brought all of creation back to himself in Christ? What could that possibly mean? Well, part of what it means is this, is that we were separated from God by our own decision, or the decision of our ancestors. And so by our own decision, or the decision of our ancestors, they decided for us that they were going to separate themselves from God. And so they did. They made the decision that they were going to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The only thing God told them they couldn't do. Of all the possibilities, all the things that they could have done that day in the Garden of Eden, that was the one thing they couldn't do. It was the only limitation uh, placed on them. But they did it anyway. And in doing so, they made a decision. 
And in that decision, they separated themselves from God. And so they were separated, and, and the Bible it begins to talk about, and, and commentators talk about this, is that we became enemies with God in our minds. And that was a re direct result of sin. That for whatever reason, one of the consequences of rebellion and sin in us is that we believe and we become, in reality, because we believe it, enemies with God. People have a really hard time reconciling this. Because there needs to come a point, as Christians, there needs to come a point for us that we realize that as we've accepted Christ, as we've asked him into our life, as we have been cleansed and forgiven, and we've been brought into relationship with him, as those things take place, something needs to change in our minds. The things that we believed beforehand, the things that we believed or were told beforehand, we need to somehow come to a place that we can change our minds about that. In other words, that we're no longer enemies with Christ in our minds. The fact of the matter is, he was never enemies with us. That was never the case. He's been working on our behalf to restore all things since we messed it up. But it's been a series of decisions. It's been a series of choices. It's been a series of following after. It's been a series of things that have been done. And finally culminating in Jesus. Making the decision not to sin. Making the decision to obey. Making the decision not to rebel. Making the decision to go to the cross. As the second Adam. Romans describes him that way. Becoming the sacrifice and setting us free. God has brought all creation back to himself through the second Adam, through Jesus. Because he made the right decision. Whereas the first Adam did not. So here we are. Here we are. We're going to make a decision. We're going to make some kind of a choice in our life. How we're going to live from this point. And the point of that is, is that if the sacrifice has been made, if the reconciliation has taken place, if God has brought, according to this verse, all creation back to himself, then that includes me. That includes you. And we're either going to receive that, I guess, or just keep living as enemies to God in our minds. See, the word reconciliation is, is, is just the idea behind it is just causing two groups or two people to be friendly again. That's what it is. And so that work of reconciliation has been done. And so the only hostility in this equation, the only hostility there is left is in our minds. It's not in God. It's not in reality. It's not in Christ. It's not in the truth of the matter. It's just in our minds. And so that would require us to see things differently. And so I find that really interesting that the separation exists in us. It exists in me. It exists in my heart, in my mind. And if that's the case... I have to believe that that can be changed, even today. I have to believe I can change my mind about something that's abjectly wrong today. That it doesn't require an extended amount of time to do that. That somehow I could make a different decision. Somehow I could see something differently. Somehow I could, I could just stop. The way I'm doing something, turn around and head in a different direction with that whole idea. That that is possible. So Paul, as he's writing to the Colossians, he wants them to understand that. And the Colossians, they were one of the churches like the Galatians that they got stuck in religion. They were a little bit stuck in their religion. A little bit stuck in what they were brought up with. A little bit stuck 
in, in stuff that they were taught when they were kids. And so he takes special care in his letters to them to help them to get unstuck. And this is one of those moments where whatever they were believing about themselves, whatever they were believing about God, whatever they were believing about their interaction or relationship with him, he was trying to tell them, well, yeah, that, that's already taken care of. And because it's already taken care of, it's going to require you and me to change our minds about it. That we're going to believe, I guess, that all of creation has been brought back in Christ, including me. There's a lot of peace in that, if we can receive it. And he goes on, he talks about how we're made holy in God's sight. Somebody look at Luke 20:36. Luke 20, 36. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. Keep, go back a little bit and get a context for that. Sorry. Alright, so as this verse is speaking forth, Jesus is talking about this is the way it's going to be. This is how it's going to be. And what he's describing there are children of the resurrection. Now, you can read that in a couple different ways. You can read that verse and, okay, well what does that mean? Well, when we're resurrected, then that's what that means. But we're already children of the resurrection. In other words, in faith, and that's part of the purpose of 1 Corinthians, you read like chapter 14, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Paul is talking to the church there and he's describing who we are in Christ. And part of who we are in Christ is understanding our place in the resurrection. Understanding that Jesus rose from the dead, which guarantees that we're going to rise from the dead. And if we don't believe that, if we don't live in that, and if we don't practice that, he's saying, well, we missed the point. Then Christ rose in vain. Now we know Christ didn't rise in vain. But he's talking to a bunch of people that are still alive, isn't he? I mean, they're reading his letter. So they're still alive. They're still kicking. They're still going about their business. But he's laying out a doctrine to them of the resurrection that he expected them fully and completely to believe and receive. To live in. That this is the truth that we live in. There's something powerful about understanding that. Something powerful about exercising faith that God has for us to exercise. We, we wouldn't be Christians if we only believed what was right in front of our face. We just wouldn't be. What do I see? Well, what's in front of my face? That's the only thing I believe? No, I believe a lot of other things. I believe in a lot of different things that aren't right in front of my face. And part of being a Christian is allowing that, that space for faith, allowing that space for belief, allowing God to use us in things that are beyond our abilities and beyond our knowledge, beyond the, what we've ever done before. That's part of that faith. And so there are elements to that faith that we need to take a hold of. One of the elements to that faith is the resurrection. Got to take a hold of that. Because I don't want to be part of that discussion about Jesus dying in vain. I'm not part of that. He didn't die in vain. He died for a purpose, and he died for a reason. And I benefit from that, and I believe that. I believe in forgiveness. I believe in cleansing. I believe in being reconciled with my Creator. I believe in that. I believe that when I die, I'm not going to stay in my body. I believe that I'm going to be with the Lord. I do. I believe that he was resurrected from the dead, and because he was resurrected from the dead, I believe I'm going to be resurrected from the dead. I believe those things. But in believing those things, and this is what I'm trying to get to right now, believing those, that should affect your life right now. That should affect your life today. 
I'm going to pray over somebody to be healed. Well, I'm going to believe they're healed in Jesus' name. Because I believe by his stripes we were healed. I believe that. I really do. And so when I pray for somebody, I pray in faith. Well, or don't bother. <laughs> okay? But, but I'm going to say the same thing about our life, though. Like, really, we're going to believe certain things. We've got to live in certain things. Or why bother? If you're just going to halfway it, what does that even mean? What does it even mean? Like, I'm going to accept A, B, and C, but not D, E, and F? I'm going to receive that God loves me somehow, but I'm not going to receive I'm forgiven and cleansed? I'm going to receive that God has a plan for my life, but I'm not going to receive that I'm going to be resurrected? That there's an eternal plan for my life? You see, I, I can take it halfway, I guess, but I think most people take it halfway out of just ignorance. I don't think they take it halfway because they can't believe what else is there. I just don't think that they've heard it. I don't think that they know it. I don't think that they've ever come to that place in their heart or in their life where they see the bigger picture of things. Like the bigger picture of the resurrection, the bigger picture of what it is to be reconciled to Christ, the bigger picture of what it is for God to bring all of creation back to himself, including me. What it means to live in that created order, what it means to live in that understanding of creation, the way God intended, the way God has made it, to walk with him in the cool of the day, to have fellowship with him all the time, to take dominion over what he's told us we can take dominion over. Because that's all included in that. And I know this sounds silly, but dogs don't scare me. They just don't. Animals just don't scare me. And I, and I suppose if a big bear came after me, that would scare me. I don't know, though. They haven't ever had a big bear coming after me. I've had some pretty big animals after me, but not a big bear. Or maybe a lion or a tiger or something, I suppose so. But what I'm trying to get at is that in my daily life and so far, I, I'm just not scared of them. And one thing I've noticed that as I've believed this more and more in my life, they're scared of me. They are. But I, I mean, I have my problems. But what I'm trying to get at, I have my problems. I mean, I mean I, I've, I've stood up against some pretty big animals in my life, but don't throw a spider my way. <laughs> I got my issues, all right? <laughs> but, but seriously, though, as I move into that whole issue, and I've done a lot of study on this, like about dominion. What did, what did, what did God mean by that when he spoke that to Adam and Eve? He would have dominion over all creation. What do you mean? Well, I mean, I, I think there's, there's a powerful understanding in that. There's a powerful understanding in being a healer. There's a powerful understanding in speaking his word as being a prophet. There's a powerful understanding of being a miracle worker. There's a powerful understanding of Jesus in us and through us. There's a powerful understanding of, no, I'm going to live forever. There's a confidence in that. There's a boldness in that. There's a boldness in understanding that, that I have authority over the devil. There's a boldness in that. I have authority over the demonic. As I moved more into that in my life, deliverance was different after that and has become more and more different after that as I've moved further into the authority and understanding the authority that Jesus has given me, both here and overseas. So they, all of these things, it, it, and as I said before, a lot of this has to do with us moving into the understanding of it. It has to do with us actually receiving that word, taking it to heart, and moving forward in, in our lives. And as we can do that, we notice things about us that begins to change. Because we're being actually reconciled to who God made us to be. Being reconciled to him in reality. That's closer it's more intimate. There's more reality in that. It affects our daily lives more. It affects who we really are more. So the, we're holy in God's sight. Well, how, how is that? Well, it's Christ's death has made us holy in God's sight. Now, notice it doesn't say we're really holy. And, and I want you to kind of get that for a second. We're just holy in his sight. 
What does that what I mean by that? That means he's made a choice. He made a choice. And we make those kind of choices. Anybody that's a parent or a grandparent, listen, your grandchildren are not perfect, you know, but you may choose to see them that way, all right? Or you may have your favorite child that you choose to see in a certain way, but that may not be the reality of it, all right, to other people. And and we're kind of in that situation with our Father in heaven. He chooses to see us a certain way. Are we really that awesome? No. All right, no. <laughs> don't, no, don't, don't, don't be upset. <laughs> don't be upset. But to him we are. I can live with that. I mean, who am I impressing, really? <laughs> Nobody. I'm not impressing anybody. And, and I can't impress him. He's already chosen to see me a certain way. I, it, what I get inspired to do because of that is to live up to it in a sense. Right? I'm not earning it. I'm not making it happen. I'm not, there's nothing to it. I just want to live for him. Right? I do. And to me, that's a good motivation. I get motivated like that. I want to I live up to it. So we have zero flaws. Now what do I mean by that? <laughs> Nothing really, but uh, what do I mean by that? Well, we have zero flaws because God chooses to see us a certain way, but we are, and I want you to understand this in the right way, we are unreprovable and unblameable. And what do I mean by that? Does that mean we never make a mistake and we can't be corrected? No, nope, I don't mean that. That's, that's for sure. We can be and we need to be. And that, that's a fact. But when it comes to our relationship with God, we're able to live outside of blame. And if you can do that, your relationship with God will fundamentally change. Does that mean you're right all the time? No, I, I'm going to repeat myself again. Does that mean you're right all the time? No. Does that mean that the Holy Spirit's not going to bring about conviction in your life to see change? No, he will. He wants you to change, he wants you to grow, and he wants you to mature. But as God has reconciled all of creation to himself, including me, he has removed the power of anybody or anything outside of himself in, in reproving and in blaming. So what does that mean? Who is our accuser? You. I know, that, I know the Bible describes the devil as accuser of the brethren. I know that. And he does bring accusation. But he doesn't have the right to. And the only way that he can bring accusation toward you is if you're already accusing yourself. All right? There has to be something in you that even gives that space. Why? Go ahead. I, I'm not very familiar with that word reprovable. Mm-hmm. What is that? That we don't need to, I'm going to just use the word this in it. We don't have to prove our worth. We don't have to prove we don't have to prove that we're right. We don't have to somehow uh, guarantee that we are doing the right thing all the time. Those are not questions that are in our life anymore. He's already done what needs to be done. And the issue then becomes, all right, so how do we grow? Well, the Holy Spirit helps us grow. How do we mature? The Holy Spirit helps us to mature. How does that happen? Well, we are convicted of sin, we confess it, we're cleansed, and we move on. That's the growth process. But that is, a, a, that is an understanding between us and God. You see, the issue is, is that we're being accused outside of that. We're being accused outside of that relationship, outside of that safety, outside of what God has made for us to grow in and what God has made for us to live in. 
And whether it's other people, it's the devil himself, or, or devil using people, or demons, or familiar spirits, or it's your own brain, it needs to stop. Because if nothing is in you that's going to receive that, then whatever the devil's saying is gibberish. It's just gibberish. Because there's no, there's no hook. There's nothing for it to latch on to. I know I'm not perfect. So what's the devil going to tell me I'm not perfect? I already know that. What? Yeah, okay. I don't even have to. I don't even have to disagree with that. I don't care. I understand I'm not perfect. I get that from the very beginning. There's provision been made for that. Jesus died for a reason. So he gave, there's provision for that. There's provision for me to be corrected by the Holy Spirit in my life. There is provision for that. And God's all about doing that. That's fine. I want that to happen. Because it's happening in a context of a relationship where I know he loves me. And I know he wants the best for me. And I know he's looking out for me. It's one thing when somebody that you know loves you, cares for you, and is looking out for you, comes and say, hey, you may want to stop that because you're hurting yourself. And then somebody you don't hardly know, who you think might hate you, comes up and says, hey, stop that. You're making a jerk out of yourself. Those are two different scenarios. Could be about the same thing, though. Right? All right. I want that relationship where he loves me. I know he cares for you. He's looking out for me. He wants the best for me. Hey, you're hurting yourself. Stop doing that. I'll take that. I'll take that every day. Because I want to stop hurting myself. And I want to stop hurting the people around me. And I want to grow. And I want to become something else different than I am right now. With his help. Molded and made into that image. I want that. But I have to stop accusing myself. I have to stop being the one that is screaming at myself. Making God an enemy in my mind. i got to stop that. Because those are all the lies, and that's where all the lies come from. So we're free. We're free. There, there's none left that's valid to accuse us. None. God brings change, and God brings correction, but outside of him, there are none left. None. Can God use another person, maybe, to speak into your life? Sure. Can God use a situation to speak in your life? Yep. Can he use the Bible to speak in your life? Yeah. How about a movie? Sure. How about a song? Yep. I've seen that. A billboard? Yep. A squirrel? Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. He's got, he's got his means, okay? He's got his ways. But leave that up to him. I'm not even trying to, you know, tell him how he does his business. He does whatever he wants. I'm okay with that. But, but, I got to stop. I got to stop bringing destruction on myself. You got to stop bringing destruction on yourself. Because the other word is shame. And I was just talking Friday night to the youth about this. We talked about guilt and shame. And, and shame is one of those words, and I've talked about this here before too, but I want to say it again. I know of nothing good that comes from shame. And in good-meaning Christians, they will talk about all of the great things that shame does for you, but I can't think of one. And, and the one verse I always use for this is in uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Someone read that. go-to guy for shame is Jesus. He's my go-to guy. Because what he's, what's said in this verse is that he endured the cross and he scorned the shame. So what did Jesus think about shame? Scorn it. Despise it. 
hate it back. That, that, that's how he treated shame. And so that, that idea that sometimes we have, and, and I've heard these arguments like, well, you know, that's how society regulates itself. Really? How, how's that working out? We've got a few thousand years of the law with a lot of shame involved in it. Did it work? No, Jesus had to come and fix it. He got thousands of years, the best law that could ever be written, written by the finger of God himself, and it didn't work. The shame didn't work. You know, societies, old-timey societies, well, they knew how to really shame people. You ever read the Scarlet Letter? Yeah. Did that stop the adultery? No, it didn't. And, and, and were, were kids born out of wedlock then? Yes. And were, were there problems? Sure. And there were always problems. You even go to Muslim countries and they cut your hand off for stealing something. Do people still steal? Yeah, because people still get their hands cut off. So it's not working. And this is what I'm trying to say, is that, yeah, you can say it works. You can say, yeah, that's the solution, but it's not the solution. And it never was the solution. And, if, and Jesus gives us the, the answer for shame. It's like, despise it and scorn it. That's what he did. He despised it, and he scorned the shame. So I'm going to be like him. And that's been my take on this for years. I'm going to be like him. I told this story Friday night, one of the first guys that we had in our ministry at Syracuse University when we came here in the early 90s, uh, he was a medical doctor. And he was here studying for his boards, and he came out to our meetings. Uh, he was a psychiatrist. Came out to our meetings, and uh, he was one of those kind of psychiatrists that testifies in court, a forensic psychiatrist. So he'd go interview like a guy, like a murderer or mass murderer or whatever, and decide if he was sane or fit to, to stand trial. He's one of those guys, he's like an expert witness. Well, anyway, he's a psychiatrist. So uh, I remember we were sitting around one night, we are talking, I was doing a Bible study like this, and I made that statement I just made. I'm like, there's nothing good comes from shame. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That was a great study. Whoa. And we went back and forth for probably 40 minutes on it. And uh, Krista's old enough to remember that. No, it was, I just so we, we, we went through it, and the end result was, is that there ain't nothing good that comes from shame. Yeah. All right? Agreed. Huh? And he agreed? Oh, yeah, because there ain't anything. You, can't, you go down the list. You, go, you take it from every side you want, every side, and it comes down to there's nothing good that comes from it. You, you want to talk to me all night about the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and there's an outlet for that, and there's an outlet for change. And it leads to change. It leads to something positive. I'll talk to you all night about how great that is. I'll talk to you, you know, you, that, all of that has good positive results. Nothing good comes from shame. So, so anyway, you know, and the end result of that, I mean, I developed a friendship with the guy. He ended up staying around a while. And he would actually, I had the opportunity to get, put input in on him talking to these criminal guys and hearing about it and having some input in some of the cases that he was involved. I thought it was awesome. And I'm a nobody. You know, I mean, he's a psychiatrist, but just ask, what do you think of this? Or what would you think would be good questions for this? Or what, how would you approach that or whatever? And just an awesome opportunity to be involved in something like that. And he ended up leaving here, going to New York City and had a practice down there and wherever else. But awesome opportunities. But what I'm getting at with all of this is that there's no real argument with Jesus. He despised it. He scorned it. And, and it gives us a clue as to what our responses need to be toward it too. So you start feeling that. Scorn. Scorn. Hate it back. Hate it back. Despise it back. But that, that's up to you, what, what you entertain in your heart and in your mind. That's up to you. I can't tell you what you're entertaining in your heart and your mind right now. Yeah. Why do people love it so much? Like parenting, you know what I mean? Like well, it's a point of control. I think it's a. I think it is a point of perceived control. Like I feel like sometimes people want people to feel shame. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right. Human beings. I mean, how do human beings control each other? They control each other through force. Yeah. So whatever that force takes the whatever that force takes the form of. And force can take a lot of different forms. It can be, yeah. And so and so it's perpetuated that that's a good thing. But it's not a good thing. There's other things in society that are perpetuated as good things that aren't good things either. It's not. And so they're not even effective things. You know, uh, well, you know, even the whole idea of, like, law. Does law work? I mean, there's law and there's natural law. Natural law you can't get around, but there's man-made law that, you know, it's like, well, would society fall into complete chaos if there was no law? That's what we've been taught. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know. I'm not a big enough sociologist to even answer that question, but I, I've heard it. I've heard people talk about it before, and 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 these are pretty smart people talking about it. They don't seem to think that's the case. Isn't that what happens anyway? Yeah. So, so it, is there any advantage? All right. Do you understand what I guess I'm trying to get to? Is is there any advantage for me to be? Anytime I see a policeman, I make sure I stop at the stop sign. Well, for that one stop, maybe, but every other time that he's not there, I roll through, right? Not that I do, but people do. You don't get a ticket. If you don't get a ticket, it's okay. Well, it just raises money, right? Well, yeah. And that's and that's but, but I guess that's the result of that it's unenforceable. And once people realize it's unenforceable, they don't do it anymore. So is what we're doing working? No. No. So so that that's the side point. I, I really don't want to talk about that too much. But if if you can take that hold of that and we can understand, it's like, okay, well, we have these ideas about what works, but what really works isn't really that. So if you're holding on to bad ideas in your brain about Jesus and how it works and who you are and you're carrying shame and you're carrying all kinds of stuff in your brain and you're enemies with God in your brain and stuff like that, you're really not living. You're just not. You're not living. So, so Christ is... The visible discovery of the invisible God. I mean, Jesus, you've seen Jesus, you've seen me. What do you say? You've seen the Father, right? So, so here he is. Here he is. He's our mediator. Somebody look at, and this will be our last verse here, Romans 8, 33 and 34. Romans 8, 33 and 34. Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. All right. So I bet you thought I overstated what I said before, right? I was overstating it to make a point. There it is again. Okay. There it is again. And there's Paul again. And he's speaking this word. And he's saying, okay, well, who, who is the valid? Who can condemn those whom God has chosen? Nobody, right? God's the only one. Who can, who can accuse? Nobody. Who can this? Who can that? Nobody. Nobody. And we have Jesus as, and that's the end of that verse. It says, and Jesus is our mediator. He's our intercessor. So bottom line in all of this is, is right from the very beginning, 
is that who was Paul talking to in the Colossian church? He's talking to a bunch of people who were having trouble letting go of their religion. And who's he talking to tonight? People that are having trouble letting go of their religion. That's who he's still talking to now. If you, if you didn't come up through that, you're probably wondering why I keep harping on this. You might wonder, because it seems pretty clear. I mean, if, I, if you'd never heard anything before and all you heard is, well, God has brought all creation back to himself in Christ, including you, including me. What do you think about that? Awesome, right? That's awesome. That's, that's, that's terrific. All right, so we're brought back. And so he sees us as holy, and, and he sees us as, um, you know, unreprovable, unblameable. So, so, like, whatever I hear otherwise, I just need to dismiss because God says everything's good. So good. So, so I need to be responsive to God. I need to hear what he has to say. I need to listen to him. I need to be open to uh, his correction by the Holy Spirit. And he wants to correct me to change me and make me more like him. All right. Sounds good. So what's the problem? Sounds good, right? We got a, we got a relationship. We've got a means by which we can grow and mature. We've got a loving relationship with a God who cares for us, loves us, and wants the best for us. What's the problem? What are we not believing? Or what are we believing? You understand what I'm saying? What's your sticking point? What's the sticking point? If I just read these verses for what they say and said, this is it, well, good. He didn't even have to write this to other people because they weren't dealing with religion issues. And so it didn't, it didn't even get written to, to other churches, but it got written to the Colossians for sure because they had their little issues going on. Well, let God deal with your issues. Especially if you came out of something that said something else. Because we need to get free. We need to get free. Us. And wherever we came from, whatever the issues were that we came out of, whatever it is that, that we've been carrying around in our hearts or in our minds, you know, we're looking for somebody to say, hey, I'm okay, you're okay, yeah, yeah, all right, well, you're okay. What did this all centers on Jesus. It all centers on him and his work in us. It all centers on the reconciliation that he brings. It all centers on his death and his resurrection. It all centers on whether or not we're going to believe him at his word or not. You want to keep believing that, that God hates you and, he, and he's out to get you? Well, then you're going to keep believing that. I want to encourage you that that's not true. And you need to believe something else. You want to keep believing God lives disappointed in you because you're an abject failure and you'll never get it right? You want to keep believing that? Well, then you're going to keep believing that. I'd like to tell you that, that God has some truth for you that eliminates that belief. Because he's chosen to see you differently than that. If only you could choose to see yourself differently. And accept him at his word. That's up to you. But we need to make those kind of decisions if we're going to really live freely. Yeah, I wrote the word free here in my notes and circled it. You are free. There's no one left to accuse you. Except for you. let's take a moment and I, I just want you to think about that. I want you to think about okay, what's in the way? And just honestly ask God if he could help you change your mind tonight. Like I said at the very beginning I believe that we could just actually change our minds tonight. I believe we could actually change the way we're seeing things tonight. I really believe that. And so I, I just want to ask God I'm going to pray that God will help you do that before you leave this place. So think about what's in the way 
What can't, what, what's in the way of you receiving? What's in the way of you stepping into this? What's in the way of you really stepping into God's created order, God's way that he created from the very beginning? Stepping into walking with him in the cool of the day. Stepping into just letting him work and, and, and love you the way he wants to love you. Heavenly Father, I pray tonight that you would really take hold of some of these dark areas and some of these hard areas in our minds. Areas that keep us from really moving into the fullness of what you have. Moving into the fullness of the joy that you want us to live in. The peace that you want us to live in. The, 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 the real intimacy that you have for us to live in with you. And so God, whatever the hindrances are, whatever the roadblocks are, God, I pray that you would help us to change our minds tonight. To bring our thoughts and to bring our hearts into line with what you actually say. I ask you, Lord, that your word would be strong in us. And I pray that whatever doubts there are or whatever lies that perpetuate, that your word and the truth of your word would, would bring a quick end to those lies. We bring, bring a quick end to those doubts. And I pray for your word to really flourish in us. And I pray for that word to really grow in us. And I ask for that word to really take root and to take meaning in us. God, that we would see ourselves, that we would see you differently. And God, we begin to believe the things that you've said about who we are, the things that you've said about the life that you've given us to live, the things that you've said about the order that you have for us to live in. That place and that dominion and that love and that peace and that grace and that mercy that you have for us to live in, God. For Lord, I, I want to be more like Jesus and I want to know you more and I want to grow in you and I want to mature in you. I pray that would be the cry of our hearts. And I thank you for that, just the avenue that you've given us of that kind of change in the midst of love and patience and mercy. Thanks, God. So I pray, God, we can leave behind the lies. We can leave behind the, the, the perpetual doubts. And we just take hold of your truth right in the midst of your love tonight. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, God. Yeah, we despise the shame tonight. Just like Jesus. We despise the shame. I give you thanks for your love, for your freedom, and for your peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. 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 All right. Good to see everybody tonight.